0: Welcome to BizDab, the Daytona area business show. I'm your host, Glenn Sanders, and I've got good news. 2020 is over. We're not out of the woods yet, but I think we can all agree that there is finally a light at the end of this pandemic tunnel. We're going to spend our first few episodes of this brand new podcast looking forward. What's in store for the various industries in our county, and what are some of the resources available to get our local businesses through the last mile of this journey? Today's guest is Nancy Kiefer, President and CEO of the Daytona Regional Chamber of Commerce. Nancy and I are going to discuss some of the hot-button topics for local businesses like tort reform, internet sales tax, transportation and infrastructure, educating our workforce, and we're going to learn more about what the Chamber of Commerce does to represent business owners in state and local government. Listen to the end to learn how being a member of the Chamber can help your business. Before we start, a reminder that new episodes of BizDab will drop weekly on Tuesdays, so be sure to hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player so that you are reminded when new episodes appear. You can follow me on Twitter at Glenn A. Sanders, that's Glenn with one N, Glenn A. Sanders, and you can join our new Facebook group called BizDab. Visit the website bizdab.com to find the show notes and links referred to in the episode and to reach out to me directly. Please, I implore you to reach out to me with any business news and ideas for future episodes. Please keep in mind, our focus is on Volusia County. Without further ado, Nancy Kiefer. So, Nancy, welcome. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for the invitation, Glenn.
0: Uh, So let's get started with what the chamber is working on. The whole goal here is to do an outlook for 2021 in Volusia County for businesses. You sent me your sort of agenda for 2021, and it's quite extensive.
1: Yeah, we uh, legislatively keep very busy on a local state and a federal level. Certainly one thing that 2020 has taught us is that with the pandemic going on, uh, we have to be very flexible. We have to be uh, moving quite rapidly in helping our businesses sustain, reopen safely, and and continue to do business in a manner that breeds some consumer confidence.
0: Now, we're recording this before Christmas, so we haven't, we don't know yet what any kind of a relief package coming out of the Fed is going to be, but what is your hope that it is for 2021?
1: We need to continue to look at the small business community and see how we can help them from a relief standpoint. Many took advantage of some of the early uh, funding that came out of the federal government, but there were also a lot of restrictions. There was a learning curve as to what it could be used for. So our hope is that as we we go into 2021, we can help businesses navigate the details, navigate what they need to do to make sure that um, they can continue to tap at some of the, the revenue, but also figure out how in their businesses they're going to run in this new environment.
0: And what has been the feedback that you've heard from your businesses that are part of the chamber in terms of how 2020 has been and, and what their outlook is for 2021?
1: I think it's been interesting. Early on in the pandemic, the businesses really moved pretty rapidly to adapt. They added new technology. Restaurants that normally just open their doors. We're now doing Facebook Live and DoorDash and Uber Eats. They added all these things in and it helped them in the initial stages. But I think at that point in time, everybody thought this was a three or four month blip. And again, as it's gone on and on, it's been a little bit more difficult for the businesses to adjust. Now, as in the state of Florida and the governor has been pretty good about not completely closing down business. So, that's given a little bit of help to the business community but again they still have to have consumer confidence for those people that don't believe they're still comfortable going out
0: sure so restaurants are the best example restaurants have seen massive declines in 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 guests and going forward in 21 what do what do we need to see happen to to bring that confidence back
1: A couple of things, we definitely need some assurances that we're not going to get tagged with extra business liability. Somebody comes into their business, any type of business, and all of a sudden um, somebody says, gosh, I may have gotten COVID there, so I'm going to sue the business. So we're going to very actively work with our state legislature on business reform that helps those businesses have some confidence that they're not going to be sued for opening their doors. This, Unfortunately, the state of Florida is a very litigious state, and our efforts to look at tort reform and make sure that businesses aren't being sued for unrealistic reasons is going to continue to play a role and, and be a very active part of our discussion in Tallahassee.
0: Well, tort reform has been on everyone's agenda for a few decades now, so uh, that, that seems like a pretty big obstacle to overcome.
1: Glenn, the unfortunate part of that is we have to still talk about it quite honestly, Absolutely. that's an issue. And I've often said on these types of activities that take a lot of discussion and a lot longer than we'd like, we probably should be worried when we quit talking about it if we haven't had success in getting it resolved.
0: And so for our listeners who are small businesses in Volusia County, let's talk about this insurance concern when it comes to COVID. And that that seems to be a top one or two points of the Florida Chamber's objectives going into the new year is this insurance against COVID lawsuits.
1: Yeah, I think, again, businesses have to be respectful and do everything they can to open in a safe environment. And if that means having people socially distanced for a while and wear masks where appropriate in businesses, that shows their effort to make it a safe environment. So from a, a legal standpoint, it carries a little bit of weight Unfortunately, you can do waivers, you can have people sign things, and and it just, while it may help a little bit in a conversation, it's not going to be the end all.
0: Yeah, in Florida, it's it's not worth the paper it's printed on, really.
1: Exactly. You know, so you can take all this time thinking you're protecting yourself and you're quite honestly not. Again, I think that our our legislators really need to focus on what they can do to help businesses have that comfort level that they're not going to be sued every time somebody walks in their business.
0: Have there been any lawsuits so far?
1: There are several pending already, and I don't have the number right now. I I know the Florida Chamber has talked about dozens, if not hundreds, already are on the books.
0: Which means there's two or three times as many being put in motion. Correct. And would any kind of COVID legal immunity be retroactive for those kinds of lawsuits, or would it only be once it's put in place?
1: Yeah, that's been part of the conversation. It's very difficult to do the retroactive piece of it. So I do think, again, we'll fight for that. We will bring that up in our dialogue and our discussions. My guess is there's going to be somewhat of a line in the in the sand of when there's much more of a comfort level.
0: Sure. Well, then that makes it a two-point fight, right? In the court, you hopefully can win a case that sets precedent in terms of what the courts will do for all the cases going forward. And then a second is to change uh, the the legislation or enact legislation to protect going forward. But that seems to be a major concern for the chamber.
1: It is. And, and fortunately, we do have really good business representation. You look at a, a representative leak who's run businesses locally, he gets it. So he's been really instrumental in having these conversations with us. And we've got a Jimmy Petronas at the state level and others that are are really fighting for business. So we have some confidence that there's going to be some relief given in this area. It's going to be a lot of work.
0: So if I'm a local business, what do I do today other than put a little policy on my front door and require people to wear a mask?
1: Yeah, when I think, and honestly, telling us your story, if you're a business out there and you think you've run into this particular issue, pick up the phone and call us because there's a big difference when a business owner contacts us with a real story. You know, we as an organization of almost a thousand members speak very in very big terms. But when I can say the retail store on Beach Street just had this issue and put him in contact with a Tom Lee or somebody that carries a lot of clout. So we need to hear what they're experiencing in their businesses and they need to communicate with us so we can tell their story.
0: And if they're not a current chamber member, can they still contact you with that story?
1: Ab- absolutely. Um. obviously we care about membership here at the chamber, but this is a different era. This is a different time where collectively we have to work for what's best in this entire community. Those that you know support us are allowing us to do that, quite honestly.
0: When does that get in front of the legislator?
1: Obviously, they open session in March. We'll be uh, speaking to them while they're back in Tallahassee. We've already presented this as one of our top priorities at the last legislative delegation meeting that was just held here on uh, a week ago Monday. So they know we're going to be there talking about it.
0: So since we're at the sort of state level discussion, what are some of the other priorities that the chamber has with the state when it comes to local businesses?
1: Yeah, I think um, one of the other big issues that, again, we've been working on for a couple of years now, but it was really, I guess you would say highlighted during this pandemic is the whole internet sales tax issue. So as you well know, you can open up an internet store and not be taxed in the state of Florida. And and it's not really fair to those with the bricks and mortar. And again, it is a little bit of work on behalf of businesses to make sure they have a collection policy in place.
0: Explain that for me a little bit better, because I think that one of the things that 2020 has created is the need for more brick and mortar retailers to develop their online, their e-commerce end of their business. It's forced them to do that. How does this relate to brick and mortar versus strictly e-commerce?
1: When you go to do business online, oftentimes you'll see a note that in these particular states, you must add tax and the rest of it's all voluntary. Do they really follow up on that? Regardless,
0: Regardless of where we deliver.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So all we're asking for is a level playing field that, you know, that there be an internet sales tax. And and again, bricks and mortar, if they're doing business online, will be paying that. But they just want a fair level playing field in which that tax is collected.
0: So who's not paying the tax?
1: You and I as a consumer, when we're given the choice to say, if you're in the state, you add this tax, the consumer will or will not do that. And we don't have a mechanism in place right now to really monitor that.
0: So the idea being that if I buy something online, I'm supposed to be paying sales tax if Depend- it's delivered to me in the state of Florida.
1: Depending on what state you're in. Yes. It's not. And so a-
0: if some, somebody from Virginia buys something from a retailer via their e-commerce store here in the state of Florida, do this, does that consumer pay sales tax? And if yes. they did, they'd pay to their state
1: that's the intention is to get it to be paid here in the state of Florida.
0: But I guess the argument is the inverse effect on unemployment by not collecting the sales tax.
1: Obviously, sales tax is a large part of our state budget. And in order to do the things we need to have done at our state level, if, if we're not collecting, if we're leaving that out, there it is not a new tax. It is required. It's just not collected. And I think that's a key thing.
0: That's funny because when I had a business in New York, they had no problem at all reminding me <laughs> that I had to pay sales tax.
1: For sure. And I'm from New York, so I get that. <laughs>
0: I was just reading this morning about Texas becoming such a tech sector and pulling so many businesses. Oracle has moved. Elon Musk is moving to, to or has moved to Austin. But Florida is, is the other state without an income tax. And do you think that plays into our ability to encourage tech companies to set up here in, in the state of Florida?
1: Yeah, we use that as an incentive. Obviously, when we're talking to businesses to diversify our economy. It's a big deal. We talk about that. We talk about the quality of life, the intangibles, things like that. But that no state income tax does make a difference to businesses looking to come into an area.
0: What are the other state legislative priorities?
1: continue work in, in again, making sure that we're not overmandating businesses from a government perspective. The workers' compensation, we need to continue to bring the rates down for our businesses when it comes to workers' compensation. And tort reform across the board, not just with COVID liability, but across the board has got to be a focus of ours. The other area I would say, Glenn, is while budgets are being challenged at the state level, obviously right now, We really need to remember when we've put together a trust fund, whether it be for affordable housing or transportation, we need to keep the intent of that and put the money towards the purpose of that particular trust fund. And with state budgets being challenged, and luckily in the state of Florida, we're in a pretty good position. They have been responsible with our tax dollars. That is not true in every state. You mentioned New York. So you take that perspective. Certainly, we don't want them to go across and start sweeping trust funds to put in a general budget. So there's going to be challenges for people that normally have received money for certain things. You may not get that in 2021.
0: I guess the threat is when budgets are affected by something like a pandemic that they start stealing from other places, the money was allocated in order to cover losses elsewhere. Exactly. That's the problem with government is they can't exactly just spin up other revenue streams (laughs) except taxes. Let's talk about the job creation in the state, because I think that's so critical going forward, both from a training perspective, but also coming out of this in the next few years. The, the switch isn't going to just flip in in June, July, and everything goes back to normal. It's going to take a few years to to crawl back, and we've got a, a higher than usual unemployment rate as a result of the pandemic this year. So what's the chamber doing to help with with job creation and unemployment?
1: Our approach has always been to diversify our economy, and obviously we have a huge hospitality sector here, and and we appreciate that. We love it. It's a part of our history. It's what we are here in Daytona Beach. But at the same time, we have to leverage things like our university system. You look at what Embry-Riddle's doing with some of their work to attract innovative companies here. We were very instrumental in helping with the development of the Micoplex we've actually brought in some companies to the Micoplex that are doing incredible medical device manufacturing. And
0: and explain to me what the Micoplex is.
1: So the Micoplex at the Embry-Riddle University is a kind of an innovation center where businesses could come and start like an incubator, start their business and have access to the assets of the university, whether it be students or research and training or even equipment. They have access to things like the wind tunnel that's part of the Micoplex. They have access to Some of the equipment that that some of the innovative companies have brought in, like a 3D printer came out of um, Columbia for a medical device manufacturer. They share that equipment with others in the incubator, access to meeting space, think tanks, funding, venture funding. The neat thing about the Micoplex also is that they put in services, local services that somebody would need, an attorney, a CPA, somebody that has knowledge of how they are going to set up their business and grow their business. It's all under one roof. Great. Still,
0: once the, the idea then being that once they get themselves out of the infancy stage, they become a strong part of the business community in, in, in Daytona Beach.
1: Exactly. And, and the University of Central Florida has the same asset out at the UCF incubator near the airport. Same concept. It's a soft landing spot for companies. We see a lot of international uh, companies come in as they're trying to figure out what their role, what their play is in the United States.
0: Those are our aeronautical and, and engineering programs that require a little bit of higher education, I assume. Are we working with the schools to train our own residents, let's say, for jobs in those industries?
1: Absolutely. One of the goals is we don't want to have this great university system sitting here, college system, even with our state college, and then turn them out to other communities. So if you look at Daytona State College, they're really our workforce college. And I I do a lot of recruitment with Team Volusia on business. And one of the assets we have here, we'll bring the college over when we have a company coming in and they say, we need certifications in this particular software, this particular uh, mechanical area. The state college will design a program specific to them. That's a huge asset. When you get down into the K through 12 area, We have a really neat pilot program we'll be launching in 2021, where we're actually going to do an online skills assessment for students, and it's going to tell them where their strengths lie, and it's going to help them determine where are they going to go, what kind of jobs are going to be available to them that really highlight their skills. This is a brand new pilot program, and and we look to launch that sometime early in, in 2021.
0: Well, that's the debate among education these days is a four-year degree with some history and and other classes relevant in today's business environment versus more of a uh, tech trade program.
1: Yeah. One of our leadership classes is working on a pre-apprentice program with the schools. Again, because you think about the skills out there, the trade skills, a plumber, electricians, we've got a lot of construction going on around here and a lot of need. And, Some of these students are not meant to go to a four-year school and build up that kind of a debt to to pay for their education. They can come out of a trade school in in a lot less time with a lot less debt and start out at a higher wage than we see in this community normally. Again, it's about choice. There's no right or wrong. Our universities are are doing a great job producing incredible people, and so are schools when they don't want that full-time education.
0: Are we seeing that happen in, in at the high school level where we're incorporating more trade programs, training than we have in the past?
1: Yeah, I think that there's been a, we've opened a dialogue between uh, Daytona State University and the schools to have that conversation about their career tracks and how we start to engage that whole area. And That's that pre-apprentice apprenticeship program that we've started to have conversations with them about.
0: What are the other priorities within the county itself?
1: The county and obviously it, there's issues that are relative across the board like affordable housing is, is a big and we like to say workforce housing because our goal really is to provide make sure that our workers, no matter what industry they are in, it could be essential services, police, nurses, school teachers, along with small business hospitality, that they can find a place to live in our community. But I I just want to say the importance of this is not a Daytona Beach issue. It really needs to be a regional issue when we look at this, because a number of our workers choose to live outside of maybe Daytona Beach and some even outside of Volusia County. And, And it's a choice. So no matter what we have available, they're always going to choose to work outside and come in. But we do have to be conscientious of our workforce and figure out what can we do from a private sector and a public sector. Way to combine our resources and look at more comprehensively at our housing issues.
0: Sure, because we've got plenty of uh, housing for the snowbirds that are coming down to escape the Northeast or, or the Midwest or something like that, and uh, and we've got to have housing for uh, the people that are actually uh, working and and so they can work and live in the same community.
1: Exactly.
0: And uh, let's talk a little bit. I I feel like I'm pushing through issues here, but it's quite a big list you've got. So let's talk about transportation and and infrastructure. I don't, it doesn't really affect Daytona as much, I guess, the rail issue up out in sort of West Volusia, but what's, we've got the airport in in Daytona Beach and what are our other transportation issues?
1: Transportation you can look at from a couple of different areas. Obviously, the roadways that you and I drive on and work on, we feel the impacts of it. I, I often say though, we need to put things in perspective. Waiting at a, a stop sign for 30 seconds, one minute or two minute is really not that bad. Go over to Miami and sit on their streets for half hour at a time. So Absolutely. we need to put that in perspective. The challenge we have here again is the aging of our infrastructure, the aging of our roads, what's underneath the roads. That's been a challenge. I know you're aware that a sales tax or a road tax referendum failed in this community. I would just suggest to say that as we look forward, we have to find a way to fund infrastructure. And it could be done in a number of different ways. It could be, you know, as new development comes in, they've raised the impact fees. They've done some of the linkage things that are necessary. But if we want to really look at a a bigger picture, we're going to need to put a little skin in the game, I think, to get that done. How does
0: that affect business, though? I mean, how how does it really affect bringing with tourism being such a a hospitality being such a a big component of our, our business infrastructure here? How does that transportation aspect affect local businesses?
1: But moving goods and services or moving people are something that has to be done, It has to be done efficiently and safely. And again, when we look at like our main corridor, like East ISB, that's how long have we been talking about East ISB? As a matter of fact, I have a meeting this afternoon with FDOT for an update on where we're at. That project got advanced by many years because the community came together and said, we just can't have our gateway look like East ISB looks. Again, part of it is image, part of it is beautification, part of it is safety. You can't ride a bicycle. And and down that safely. So as we look at infrastructure, how are we providing the proper infrastructure to look at for pedestrians, for bicyclists, for mass transit, buses, right? You can't take a bus down East ISB and pass on a side. We've got to look at widening that a little bit. So again, how does it affect it? We've got to have good roadways to move our tourists efficiently so that they're not backed up on a bridge trying to get onto our beach.
0: Are we doing a little forward thinking in terms of electric vehicles and charging stations and things like that as well? That has a big impact on downtown infrastructures.
1: It sure does. And I just noticed the other day out at the Target at ISB, there are probably about 15 charging stations for hybrid cars, electric cars. I was shocked to see that. We're fortunate we do have a transportation organization here that looks very forward into how does new technology work, what do driverless cars look like in the future, what is, again, this whole hybrid energy saving. So they're trying to make sure that they look through that lens at every project as we move forward.
0: Were there any other issues that we didn't touch on that you think are relevant here?
1: I think again, if you bring it down even more local to Daytona Beach, we've got a city manager search going on. Our city manager will be retiring, having somebody lead what you know is the is not the largest city in land, but the largest city in, in, in revenue and all of that as it relates to the county, that search is really important. So we're do, gonna continue.
0: Do you play a role in that at all in, in as the chamber?
1: Yeah, we have asked to be on the search committee. Normally, if if we're not going to be on the search committee, we're always asked to help vet resumes, do some research, find out what we know nationally if a candidate's coming from another area. So we do some a lot of behind the scenes work on that. We've also provided what we think are the characteristics, you know, that our next city manager needs to have. We're trying to be proactive in the search and make sure that. We look at it, again, from many different perspectives, business, residents, what we want for our community.
0: It'll be interesting, uh, again, by the time this airs, we'll probably know a lot more about what the the Fed's role is going to be in helping businesses throughout the country. The new administration doesn't start until the, the 20th of January. So what can we do at a state and local level to make up for the sort of shortcomings of the Fed if they don't? come up with as, as big a business support package as, as we all hope they do?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. I wish I had the crystal ball to answer that. I think from our perspective, we just have to keep lines of communication open. We have to be innovative. We have to look at how we shift in this new environment to help businesses be successful. Again, what's going to happen to offices? Are office building's going to be the thing of the future or are, are people now that got are comfortable working from home are you going to see more of that so do we have more of a need for gathering places
0: and then what happens to our class A office space
1: exactly exactly then you have a huge 11 story brown and brown corporate headquarters building coming in that's going to they i think they get their ceo today or tomorrow that's going to have 700 workers at that particular one i think up to 1000 at, at the end What an incredible asset. They've never given up on it, even in, you know, this last year as they've watched this pandemic. There's always going to be that desire to sit face to face with people at some point, but it will change. It'll change how people do business, how people do work.
0: Yeah, sure. The work from home, some significant part of that is going to stick for sure. But also, as we touched on earlier, the e-commerce aspect for retailers moving into that e-commerce space, I think, is super important as well. So I don't know if there's any training or help with that going forward, but that leads to another, another question, which is from a marketing perspective. What are we doing in, in Daytona Beach to help our local businesses that retail is, is suffering big time?
1: Yeah, from the Chamber's perspective, early on in the pandemic, we actually partnered with our Convention and Visitors Bureau to develop a Back in Business Safely campaign. And we provided resources like posters for the windows, all the documents, and how do you o- reopen safely. We kept updated on what's coming out from government and the CDC guidelines. Again, I think back then it was so important at that time, but I think as it's gone on, and it's lingered on a little bit. We have to get back to some of those basics.
0: Part of it's going to be getting airplanes full of people back coming into the airport. That's more of a CVB question, but uh, yeah, I mean, we work,
1: yeah, we work jointly with them. And, and while their job is on the tourism side, it, it all comes together when we want to attract people because that tourist may also be a, a CEO of a Fortune 100 company that comes to our area and says, this is incredible. I want to talk about relocating a business. So it all does intertwine it at some point or time.
0: Do you think there's more of those conversations going on at the sea level these days?
1: As far as relocating businesses? Sure. Yeah, it's been interesting because, and I've seen it with some of our members, how now that they're not going into an office, they're traveling the world. They're, they can do their business from the beach. They could, you know, rent a condo. And, and you know, so the the op- opportunity, I would say, to do business no matter where you are could be a huge benefit for us here. Who wouldn't want to be and have our quality of life here?
0: And clear and clearly major corporations are rethinking how they're doing business going forward. So I, I think and it seems like the opportunities business wise are expanding rapidly outside of major metropolitan areas. It seems that the conversation these days is about the how businesses are going to work and where they're going to work going forward, where they're going to be located.
1: Yeah, and don't and remember. I guess I should say with all of this is perspective. So in a city, you fight the the transportation issues, the long lines, the this and that. Daytona Beach has everything to offer to a new business. I met with a prospect yesterday from the UK. I sat with a, a manufacturer of sensors that just signed a huge contract to do sensors for the glass industry. They're they're located right here, and their comment yesterday was about. The big town feel in a small town atmosphere, and, and what I say about that, the norm to drive an hour is nothing for somebody who wants to live in a city. Sure. You can cover here in an hour. You can be down to the Cape. You can be across to Orlando, Jacksonville. So we're really very well situated to attract that type of business to this area. Bigger business, but they want that kind of small town feel with big town amenities.
0: Tell me a little bit more about the chamber. From a small business perspective, it, it it sometimes I think people assume that the chamber is just networking events. Obviously, you've got a, a very heavy legislation agenda, but how else does the chamber support businesses? what What's the value that that the Chamber provides?
1: Yeah. So it's always very interesting because value is in the eye of the beholder. And one of the things that people may or may not realize about our chamber of commerce, but at nearly a thousand members, 85% of those are small business, really small business. So we have to really be focused on what we can do to help them. So it's training. It's again, providing resources, connecting them, being the convener, You walk in and say, I'm really struggling with my business plan. And I'm going to say, great, let's get you with our small business development center and let's write your business plan. Working more consultative and one-on-one with businesses is something we've always done. And we're doing that even more now, much more targeted to how we can help our businesses. Branding our community. We are, and you'll see a campaign start to come out mid next year, maybe. We're clearly more than what people might think about Daytona. So just remember that statement because you're gonna see the chamber play off that as we look to really showcase our community. Developing leaders, obviously through our, our Leadership Daytona program, the relationships and the partnerships we're building into the school systems as we talked a little bit about earlier. All of these are really important. Most importantly though, Glenn, is the collective power that we have in the community when people support the chamber. People go to a chamber of commerce as a good housekeeping seal of approval of where to go and do business in a community. So just being on our website alone, it's open 24 seven, whenever you want to get at it and it's easy to maneuver, that's a huge benefit. So we're just going to continue to work so hard on everybody's behalf with the intention of together, honestly, we can build a stronger community.
0: And when it comes to building a stronger community from a business perspective, I think it's no secret that Daytona's maybe suffered a little bit over the years in being a party capital of the world and and not so much a business capital of the world, so that that seems to fall on a, a bit on your lap to to try and change that perspective.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. We have an identity crisis here for sure, but most of that crisis comes with people closer to home than it does from outside of the area. Again, I'm out recruiting with team Volusia. you mentioned Daytona or Daytona Beach, and they immediately have a good international feel. Because Daytona, you can go where you don't speak a language somebody with somebody and they start talking about, oh, that's the racetrack because of that international recognition. But clearly, we do need to make sure that we respect our heritage, we respect the culture, but we build off from the positive parts of that. And again, cl- we're clearly more than what people may see or think.
0: Sure. The racing put us on the map, so to speak, mm-hmm. but obviously we've done some significant growth in, in other areas, including with Embry-Riddle uh, and the aeronautical type of stuff that we do here, which I didn't even know about until I moved to Volusia County uh,
1: five years ago. So, it's more than just a flight school, for sure. They're producing some really crazy products over there with these incubator businesses. Watch for more on that.
0: And if anybody wants to reach out to you or be, learn more about the chamber, how do they do that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. and Certainly, we're available 24-7 through our website. Uh, You can always go to DaytonaChamber.com and and learn more about the chamber and go and find out about the membership side. But we really like to customize our approach because what's important to you may not be important to somebody else. So we love a dialogue. We love to consult with our members and say, here's what we can do and here's what we can't do. Because let's be honest, the last thing we want to do is recruit a business and a year later have them say, you didn't do anything for me. So call us at 386-255-0981, and any of our professional staff will give time to support people that want to learn more about our community, the chamber, and what we can all do together.
0: Great. Nancy, thank you so much for being on the podcast and being one of our first guests as we get this thing started. Uh, And hopefully we'll have you back again sometime this year to talk about how we're in the recovery mode, so to speak.
1: I would love to be able to do that, Glenn. We're going to continue to be positive and move forward, but be realistic and help our businesses get through whatever we're going to go through for the remaining you know, amount of time. Business is going to be different. We just have to get accustomed to that.
0: Great. Thanks, Nancy. I appreciate it.
1: You bet, Glenn. Thank you.